My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Welcome today. If you were here with us last week, you know that we talked about the side of mercy that helps people when they're hurting. And we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. In the Good Samaritan story, Jesus is answering a question, which is, you know, who's my neighbor? Who should I be caring about? And he answers it with a classic story. And we know it. We, we've studied it. We've seen it. Uh, as we said, we, hospitals have Samaritan on the name of them. Uh, organizations have the name Samaritan. A person is even called a Good Samaritan when they help someone else. And so we're really familiar with the story. We went back and looked at the different responses that we might have to people in need. And the truth is, sometimes uh, we're on a mission. We're busy. We're a little too busy. Or we're a little uncaring. Or we're a little focused on what we're doing or who we think we are. And so maybe like the priest in the story, the first person, we'll just go around and we just, just keep moving. Uh, on the road, we'll just not really make eye contact or acknowledge the need because we're on to something else. Or like the temple assistant, the Levite in the story, we could be uh, maybe curious about it, but we're really not going to get involved. But the point of the story is that Jesus told the story so that we would see what the Good Samaritan did. And the Samaritan was the hated enemy of the Jews. And what I would like to do as we start this message today is I'd like to revisit the story, but have you do it in your mind. So close your eyes and imagine that you're on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. You're traveling. It's a very steep, it's a treacherous area. Uh, the road is only a couple feet at most wide. There's a, cl a, a cliff on one side, a, a steep ravine maybe on the other, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty dangerous. And there's a lot of turns, there are a lot of dark places where robbers could hide. And usually you wouldn't go alone, but you're on this donkey, uh, this beast of burden, and you are traveling there on a mission. You have your bag, your satchel with supplies, and you, you have something you're doing. And all of a sudden, as you're going along this road, you see someone lying on the ground. And your heart goes out. You have just filled with compassion for this person. And as you go up to that person, you get off your donkey, you kneel down, and you see that person is hurt and bleeding and wounded. And the only thing you can think of is, what if it were you? Uh, what if it were your mom? You know, what if it were your, your relative? You have to do something. doesn't matter the color of their skin, their racial background, their religious background. The fact is, you can't just pass this one by. So you, you go back to your, your, your donkey and you grab the supplies. You get your olive oil. 
Now imagine you're there and you're kneeling down near the body of that man that is nearly dead. And you're grabbing the olive oil and you begin to pour it on the wounds to soothe the wounds. It's part of a medicine. And, and as soon as you do that, of course, the person reacts because the pain is there. But, but uh, I want you to open your eyes now and imagine if when you're doing that, in your great desire to serve someone with a heart of mercy, a heart of compassion, someone who needs your help, if in that moment that person looked up to you and said, what are you doing? Hey, that hurts. What, what do you think you're doing? I mean, why, why are you here? Everybody else passed me by. What's going on? In fact, that olive oil, I'm concerned. Is that virgin olive oil? Because I only really use the best stuff. You know, don't go cheap on me now, right? And then you're a little concerned and you're confused. And so you go and you grab your wine out of your bag. And the wine is, is to, to heal the pain, to soothe the pain at least. And so you go to give uh, the man some wine. And he's like, what is this? Yamhill County stuff. Don't go cheap on me here too. I mean, I only do Napa. I, I do Pinot from Napa, California. What do you, what's going wrong with you? And then you go to reach in to get your rags to bind the wounds up and you think, maybe I should just bind the guy's mouth. I mean, really. The truth is, sometimes it's difficult to serve people. You, you would think, and, and I know you've had this experience, Sunrise is a serving church. I've had it a lot. When we go to help someone in need, sometimes they don't react the way we think they should act. In fact, sometimes they respond with negativity. Sometimes, as we know to be true, hurt people hurt people. And so today I want to talk about the patient side of mercy. I want to talk about the side that deals with people who have a need, but then maybe they are actually not the nicest, kindest people. Uh, it's great to be a good Samaritan. What happens if somebody like the person we're seeing in the story lashes back? What happens if this week you're at school or you're at work or in your neighborhood, you're at the gym, you're somewhere in your, the vicinity of your life, and as you're going around, you go to help someone and they give you an insult instead? I mean, that's not an easy thing to receive because your heart's motive is to be pure, is to help. And if you do this enough, you'll discover there's a lot of people that they really need your help, but they may not want your help or they may not know how to receive your help. Now, years ago, I was in college uh, at Corbin University and down in Salem, and I was given an assignment in a pastoral ministry class. And it was uh, a great class uh, led by a phenomenal teacher. He was a retired pastor, Herb Anderson, and just, a, just a, a really kind gentleman, really enthusiastic, a lot of energy. And he sent us out on missions, a lot of assignments in class. And in this specific class, um, we had to go look and study small groups. And, and that was kind of new. It was in the mid-'80s. What do you do with groups, small groups? Uh, you, you know, church had Sunday and church had Wednesday. You come to a place where you attend and sit. Maybe you have prayer meeting. But the idea of small groups was, was new. Again, it's in the Bible. But it was new again for the church community. And so it was pretty novel. And so uh, Buddy and I went up. We drove up to Portland. Went up to New Hope Community Church. Uh, Pastor Dale Galloway, great man. Uh, building a great church. Just a great thing going on. He had started it in a movie theater. Or actually in a drive-in theater. And then they eventually grew and grew. And then they had just finished a 3,000 seat auditorium. It still stands today and it was very innovative it was a large megachurch before we even knew what that was and so went up there and sat with Dale and heard about small group ministries heard about serving people in homes and that's a key thing that we do at sunrise if you're only coming on the weekends we say you're only getting half a church you're sitting in rows looking at me which is pretty scary uh, and, but in the homes you're sitting in circles and you're looking at each other and it's a much deeper experience 
And so he was talking about this and sharing about this. I'm taking notes. I have to write a report about small groups. And then he goes on to talk about a specific kind of small group that they had at the church. And this is really cool. He called them TLC groups, Tender Loving Care Groups. And these were the genesis of so many of the recovery groups. Now, Dale wrote the book literally on small groups. That was, that was a textbook. But TLC groups were, were beautiful because they were the beginning of the church opening up our hearts to people who maybe going through divorce, people who are going through grief, people who struggle with alcohol, struggle with drugs, struggle with financial difficulties. And in these TLC groups met on a specific night. Now, we still do that at Sunrise. We have them recovery groups. We've had Abundant Life. We've done Celebrate Recovery. But it's all the same thing. In the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of life, we need to come together and bring healing to each other. And so we love that at Sunrise. But Dale was the pioneer of this in the Northwest. Great stuff. But as he's talking about it, he made this series of comments. And I'll, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, the reality of people who come to recovery, people who come to TLC groups, is that they're hurting and they're broken. Right. We understand that. But oftentimes they don't have boundaries in their relationships or in their finances, you know, in their life. They don't have an understanding of how to do things right because they got to this point for a reason. And many times the people that come to these groups that are broken and hurting, uh, they actually end up breaking and hurting other people because they don't see what's going on. It's a blind spot in their life. And so he, he used this term and it's the first time I had ever heard it uh, even in print to be used. It's called EGR. He said, we have a lot of EGR people. And you know what? that EGR is extra grace required. I mean, think about this. Some, some of us have extra grace required people in our lives, right? Now, if they're here, don't, don't point to them or look at them right now. That'd be embarrassing. But we all have people in our lives that take an extra dose of grace. If the average person, you know, you need this much margin and grace with, these people, you need so much more. And extra grace required people, if we're not careful, can not only wear us out, they can actually hurt some of the people we're trying to minister to as well. I mean, every small group I've ever been in has at least one EGR person, someone who is emotionally needy, someone who is hurting and struggling. Now, now hear my heart. I'm not saying anything bad or negative about these folks. I'm not saying that they're irredeemable or, or that we shouldn't have them in our group. In fact, as Dale went on to explain, he said, you know, the very nature of church. Now, think about this, friends. The very idea of church is that we open our doors every weekend and every week to anybody, to everybody that comes in in need. And it is natural that people come in, and we, we say it at sunrise here, that people come in in times of tension, times of transition, and time of trouble, the three T's. People come in during those times. Now, again, I'm not saying it's like Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses, and if you have a weakness or a need or you need a crutch, you come to church. I'm not saying that. But the reality is when uh, you're going fine in your relationships and your work and the money and all that stuff, your dreams are getting realized Truth is, you're not really in a place to receive a heart of mercy. Because you're really focused on yourself. You're a self-made man, self-made woman. But when everything falls apart, all of a sudden you wake up and you look up to heaven. And you realize something's wrong. It's like the, the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. You know, when the party's going on, when the money's flowing, when everything's working, uh, you don't think about God. But when you're busted and you're broke and you're flat on your face when you're down there in the mud with the pigs longing for even some of the food that they eat that's when you look up to heaven and you have an awakening so church is built for that that's the whole point of us coming together is to receive people that are hurting and broken at sunrise we're not a church uh, like a country club 
where we all get all dressed up and fancy and come and, you know, schmooze and, you know, make small talk and feel good about ourselves and drive our fancy cars and things like that home. We are more like a hospital for sinners. And that means there's blood on the ground sometimes. There's uh, open wounds. There's struggles. Now, when we, as people that are filled with mercy, good Samaritans out there, when we encounter a person who needs extra grace, it can really throw us. For the very first time, it can completely uh, help us just struggle, kind of bind us up internally because that's not how it's supposed to be, right? We think in our simple world, we all think this when we get started, that everybody's going to say thank you, right? That everybody's going to appreciate you or pat you on the back. Everybody's going to give you a high five. Everybody's going to go, good job, right? That's not how it works in the world. Because when people are hurting and broken, sometimes they end up hurt and broken and hurting and broken other people. The Bible says to bear with one another. I mean, my friends, sometimes we're a bear, right? Sometimes people are a bear. And every one of us is an EGR person. Every one of us needs extra grace, and, and, and the truth is, if you're sitting here thinking you don't know anybody like that, then uh, one of two things is true. You're not connected with any people, uh, or more likely, you're the EGR person in everybody else's life, right? And they're waiting for you to hear this sermon. The truth is that we encounter this all the time. And so today I want to talk about uh, just the, the reality of dealing with difficult people. How do we deal with difficult people? How do we understand to love beyond the rude behavior, to love beyond the awkward conversations? How do we learn to love people when they're very unlovable? Because that's how Jesus reached out to us. Now, normally I like to share uh, through a book of the Bible. We went for a year and a half through Matthew. We, we went this spring and summer through Psalms. I love that. That's just kind of like my true north. I enjoy that. Or we look at a passage of scripture, like last week, the parable of the Good Samaritan, or Pastor Kevin the week before, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I really like that. But today I want to share with you kind of the accumulation of years of pastoral ministry. I want to share what I believe are biblical principles, biblical realities of working with and helping people that are hurting, people that are difficult. I want to share with you some truths. And so when you came in, the sermon notes I referenced earlier, I want you to grab them and take them and fill in the blanks here. We'll have all those for you. Um, and, and there's a lot of them. There's six of them. Like I said, you know, mo- six points, that's a lot for me. Usually I, I, I'm pointless, you know, when I talk. But uh, the reality is, if this is good for us. This will be good for you, especially as you meet in your small group this week, as you begin to think about it in your own life. And one of them uh, overall is going to be more difficult for you. One of them is maybe going to be a stopping point for you, but what I want to do as your pastor is I want to share, and I want to share not just some principles and biblical truths and verses. I want to share with you some of my own heart, some of my own struggles with this, because as a person that is more of an introvert, I wear out on the weekends, and I need to be reminded again and again and again and again and again that these principles will work in my life if I allow God to do that. So today I want to start with this. I want to talk about uh, the, the most important one, I think. The biggest one is, is to look behind people's behavior, to look around their behavior, look beyond their behavior. I think it was John Maxwell that said it when I heard it first. It's, it is what I said, hurt people hurt people. The reality is when someone is coming against you, someone is uh, maybe angry with you, maybe you attempt to serve them, maybe you can't serve them enough, maybe you've served them 27,000 times and you're done and you're spent and you don't have any more to give and all of a sudden they turn on you. One of the greatest things you can do is just stop and pray for that person. 
That is such an important thing. It's just to stop and say, God, I, I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know what is happening, but there has to be some hurt and pain in this person's life that would cause them to react with so much hurt and pain toward me. To look behind, around, beyond their behavior and see the person. The Bible says that we are all made in the image of God. You will not encounter any person this week. You will not lock eyes with any person this week that is not dearly loved by God. That is not actually made in God's image. Now, no matter how marred that image is, how dirty and muddy and mucked that one up is, I mean, you, you, the reality is a lot of us, are, we're just broken. But inside, we are made in the image of God and God loves us and longs for us to come to completion in Jesus to be fully as we are to be in Jesus. But we're not there yet, my friends. And sometimes we're really far from that. And we're difficult people. So one of the greatest things you can do is look beyond or behind or around someone's behavior. Um, the Bible says this. I, I love this verse. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. To be able to develop the kind of patience when it doesn't go the way you think it should go. That's a beautiful mark of a person of mercy is to not, not you know, turn insult for insult. Not to be rude to people. Not to have a short fuse. Not to have a quick temper. But to be calm in those moments. And I know sometimes the days are wearing. But to continue to love people, even when they're terribly unlovable. To look behind, look beyond their behavior. Uh, another point to, to go along with this is to refuse to be offended. Because when people hurt us, when people say things, when people don't, react the way we think when they misjudge our motives and then they come back and attack us one of the struggles for us is it's easy to be hurt it's easy to be offended but I believe this I believe that your emotional my emotional your spiritual your spiritual my spiritual maturity is best seen by how we respond in difficult situations when somebody mistreats us that's who we really are they say it's kind of pithy and silly but you don't know what's in a tea bag till you drop it in hot water and that is true and so when those moments come up, you've got to have patience and pray for them and see beyond their behavior. But then you can't carry that weight and hurt and become bitter as a result of that. You can't, you know, be offended by people when they're lashing out for help. If you're out there in the middle of the ocean and someone is drowning and you throw them a lifeline and they come and grab onto you. I, I know at times it, they, it feels like they can just pull you down too. I know the reality of that. But the truth is they are dying and they need your love and assistance. Uh, in relationship here, one of the verses that is very, very, very important to us is watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. I think that's as much Bible as a lot of us need today. You know, write that on a three by five card, put that on your smart device, you know. It, just watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. I love that. That's like for every teenager, right? That would be perfect. Every mom and dad want them to memorize. That's your new life verse today, right? That's it. Watch, watch what you say, watch your words. Sometimes you shouldn't have any words. Because in that moment when they're hurting us back, we want to react or respond and bite them. That's not how we should be. We should watch what we do. We're to be patient. As uh, Proverbs 16.32 says, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Now, one of the things that we need to develop when we do ministry with people is we need to keep a soft heart. If you serve a lot, it's easy to wear out. And if you serve a lot to people that are kind of harsh, kind of difficult to love, it's easy to harden your heart. But we have to have a tender heart. We have to pray all the time, God, give me a soft heart. Give me some tough skin, God, because I'm going to need it. 
We need tough skin at times. Not calluses, but tough skin, thick skin. So we don't return insult for insult. So we don't go home and be hurt and offended. Uh, one person, John Bevere, wrote this great book called The Bait of Satan. We used this in a sermon series a number of years ago. And it's a beautiful reality. It's a painful reality. But as a pastor, I'll tell you, it is the reality of churches. That the enemy, Satan himself's number one tool for destroying a church is not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. And he does that by offense. When someone is offended, when someone is hurt, when someone, uh, maybe real or perceived, gets hurt by someone else, we, we said it a lot. There will always be gaps between what we expect and what we experience from a person. And you alone determine what to put in the gap. I will disappoint you. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your parents, your son, your daughter, your friends will disappoint you. Your boss, your coworkers, they will disappoint you. There's always a gap between what we expect and what we experience from people. And we determine what we put in there. We're going to put in trust or we're going to be offended and put in suspicion and mistrust. And we, we alone hold the key to that one. And when we get hurt a lot, we choose to be offended. And then when we get offended, we withdraw. We step back from the situation because we don't want to be hurt anymore, right? And then we begin to lick our wounds and dwell on the issue, real or perceived. And pretty soon we shrivel up and we leave. And the enemy has scored a victory. One point goes on his scoreboard when he divides believer against believer. We've got to refuse to be offended. The Bible says sensible people, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. We have to realize love conquers. Love overlooks faults. Love overlooks when people hurt us. It's, it's good to overlook the offenses of life. And then number three, as we build on this idea, we can't be bitter. As they said, refuse to be embittered. Refuse to allow this little seed of hurt or offense because we meant well, we tried, we reached out, we used our time, our money, our resources to serve a person, and they didn't respond the way we thought they should or they really should have. And then we get hurt, we get offended, and then we hold on to it and we get bitter. And this root of bitterness, the Bible says, begins to grow up within us. And it destroys our faith and it destroys our relationships. Uh, we've got to be gracious to people. I'll say it this way. Um, I struggle uh, two times during the week with uh, PMS. I do. As a man, I struggle with PMS. It's called uh, Saturday. It's called pre-message syndrome. That's my PMS. Saturday afternoons, uh, my mind, my heart, everything is kind of thinking about Saturday night service and the weekend service. Uh, it, it's just true. Even this is this, just yesterday. My wife was uh, about 1, 1 15 saying, hey, why don't we do this? And, why don't we, and I, I said, you know, babe, I love you, but I, I really kind of tense. I'm thinking about the message. I've got to cut things out. It's too long. I'm concerned about this. I don't know if it's going to flow. And my mind starts to focus on that. And I, I can become a little cut off or a little irritable during that time because I'm emotionally thinking about and dwelling on something else. And then Sunday afternoons, I, I get PMS again. It's post-message syndrome. And I do. Last week and this week, I preached at the Hispanic congregation. And I love it. I love those folks. And But it takes extra, right? And normally, I'll go home on a Sunday, take a little nap. Well, last week, I preached at the Hispanic service for Pastor Nelson because he and Israel were in Cuba with our team. And uh, I got home and then I had a meeting a little bit later. And so I had about 30, 45 minutes. I laid down. Uh, I just said, babe, wake me up when it's time to go. I'll just hop up and go and we'll go to this meeting and we're going to go on and do our date night. And so it's about 30, 45 minutes. She comes and wakes me up. And, and the truth is, I wasn't myself in that moment. 
You know, you ever think about that? We're not really put together. I like how the Apostle Paul says it. He says, clothe yourself with humility and compassion and things. It's like you have to go to the closet and put those clothes on. And sometimes we're not, you know, really presentable. Sometimes we're kind of emotionally, relationally naked there. And we haven't put our clothes on yet. And, and I was in that moment and I'm just like a little dazed. And my wife gives me so much grace. She doesn't get irritated with me in that time because she knows and she gives me space and it took a little while to wake up finally got going and uh, we had our meeting had our day night it was great but you know we all need people in our life that won't become embittered in their heart when the realities of the difficulties of life come along uh, Paul says it this way a couple verses for us Ephesians 4 2 always be humble and gentle and by the way always in the original language yeah you know it means Always, right? It's always, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. And here it is, making space, creating margin, allowing for each other's faults. Because of our love for one another, because of our love for others, we give allowance for that. And we give space for that. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it really well in James 2.13. He says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy. I mean, that's it, right? We all, you know, want justice for someone. We want them to be judged rightly. But then when it comes to us doing that or the same thing or similar thing, we want mercy, right? Well, well James says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. I don't know about you, but I want God to judge me in a merciful manner, right? Well, then that's how we have to act toward others and live in that way. Jesus himself, with one of our key verses in this series, says in the Sermon on the Mount, God blesses those who are merciful. Now, the word blesses is a, is a fascinating word because uh, some translations even say happy. Some say blessed are, it's the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. But some say happy are the merciful. Well, what's up with that? Well, the idea is that you have received a blessing by God that brings joy in your life. There is a response in your life that because you live away, do away, act a certain way, you now are a joyful person. God makes you happy. God brings happiness into your life. You're blessed by God when you're merciful. And I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed by God. If he offers a blessing, I want it. I want to jealously have as many blessings as possible. I don't want to take your blessings, but I want to take all the blessings God offers to me. And God blesses those who are merciful because they will be shown mercy. You know, not everybody realizes what they're doing. Oftentimes the response or the hurt, the hidden pain, uh, the problem or the pressure... You know, they're just acting the way they've acted. That's their defense mechanism. And so we have to refuse to become embittered by this. Again, this is so much the reality of our lives as a church. Colossians 3.13, we have to make allowance again. We have to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. As Pastor Kevin so beautifully put it a couple weeks ago, you know, we have to forgive in advance. We have to forgive people when they hurt us. We have to give space for people Because that's what God did for us. And how could we grab someone by the throat and hold on to them and demand a payment when we have been forgiven so much more? We won't understand mercy at all. Well, as it goes on and we do more of this mercy ministry, uh, sometimes we're going to want to vent a little bit. I'll just be honest and be frank with you. Sometimes that's how we want to respond. We want to come together with some other people. Maybe you're a small group leader and you grab you know, some coffee with a couple small group leaders like, man, let me tell you about that. my EGR person. Oh, my goodness. You can't believe what they did. This is the third time they've, right? 
or you think, man, I can't believe that person. This is the sixth week. They haven't done this. And it's easy for us to triangulate and invent. Or, as the Bible says, gossip, right? What's gossip? Well, it's, it's sharing information with a person who's not a part of the problem or the solution. That's gossip. And, and the Bible says we can't gossip. We have to refuse to gossip. In fact, a couple verses here. It says in Proverbs 17, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. If we harbor this bitterness in our heart, it's going to grow. And we're going to want to talk about it. We're going to want to vent. We're going to leak out to other people. And it's not a healthy thing. Proverbs 26.20 says it this way. Fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. You know, the reality is, is that God hates gossip. I don't have the verse on the screen here, but uh, I want you to think about these words. There's a, there's a Bible verse that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, and he listed a bunch of sins, and I'm just going to read them to you. Uh, wickedness, that's a, that's a pretty bad word, right? Greed, hate, that's a bad word. Envy, right? Uh, murder, I mean, that's seriously bad, right? Murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior. And in that list, Paul puts the word gossip. Because that's how God feels about the times when you and I use our words to destroy other people. When we tear people apart, when we destroy people's lives or integrity, when we gossip. It's destructive to families, it's destructive to businesses, it's destructive to churches. God gets angry about these sins. He hates, he says, these sins. And gossip is one of them. Instead, we could do what Paul says in Philippians 4. Think about the positive. Think about the good things. Think about the, the things that really have gone well with this person. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. You could focus on the false. You could focus on the bad. Or you could fix your thoughts, your heart, on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace with you. Paul says, I've learned how to do this. In my situation, I've learned how to forgive people. I've learned how to not be embittered. I've learned how to not gossip. And again, I've learned how Paul would say, I don't play their game. I don't engage in that kind of behavior. I don't retaliate. I don't retort. I don't do it. In fact, I think the best example, the greatest example is Jesus himself. When he was being attacked, when he was being um, crucified on the cross, right? He didn't utter a word against them. The, the Isaiah passage 52:53 says that he was like a sheep that was silent before shearers. That, that Jesus did not attack people. On the cross, he could have called down those angels to save himself, but he didn't. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. To which I read that and I go, I think they know what they're doing, Jesus, right? They're killing you. You're a threat to their empire. You're a threat to their business, to their influence. And they want you out of the way, and the best way is just to get rid of you and to kill you. I think they know what they're doing. And Jesus says, no, but they really don't. We have to look behind their behavior, beyond their behavior. We have to refuse to be hurt and offended and bitter, refuse to gossip, refuse to play that game. Uh, I, I love this phrase. This is a great little th statement. If you wrestle in the mud with a pig, both of you will get dirty, but only one of you will enjoy it, right? 
I mean, in that moment we think, man, we got him. We've got this great response. How many of you are like me? You come up with a really great retort maybe like five minutes later, you know, or half hour later. Or you're like, man, the next time that person or the next time, I'm going to write that down because I want to be, be sharp with my tongue, right? But that's not how we're supposed to do it. Sometimes the most merciful thing you can do is walk away from an argument. Extra grace required people can keep arguments going and keep the conversation going. Refuse to play their game. Um, I think about it this way. Uh, it, it takes two to tango, right? It takes two to argue. I see this all the time on the internet. It's unbelievable the number of internet trolls that are out there, right? I mean, think about the picture of a troll. They're under the bridge, and you go across the bridge, and they come out and attack you. And that's what internet trolls do, right? Um, I, I read a lot of websites on any given day. I, I just have a list of websites, try to get a, a spectrum. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go Oregon Live. I'll go uh, you know, CNN. I go to Fox News. I go to MSNBC. I go to NPR and BBC and all kinds of places I go. Daily Beast. I read all kinds of spectrum sites because I want to get a good mix. I don't want just one person telling me this is how it is because uh, there's a lot of, a lot of mistruth out there. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of real news that people say is fake news and vice versa. But the fact is this, is that they've all cut off their comments, except Oregon Live. You, you can't post on their, on their stories because we realize that all it takes is like, what, what is it, 12, 13, 14 comments before someone's a Nazi, someone's a hater, someone, you know, sent someone to the gas chamber, uh, 20, 30, and all of a sudden you're Hitler yourself, right? Or the person you're talking about is Hitler. It's unbelievable what happens when you read those comment lists. There's always someone that starts to attack. I remember when the election was going on this last fall, year ago, and I put up a couple posts about the challenges of, you know, of, of, of the two candidates and things like that and the struggles I was facing of wanting one or not or both or neither or please somebody else God help us you know and and it was civil for so long and then a troll jumped off from under their perch on the bridge and came up on and attacked and I had to delete it we were having a civil conversation and some jerk from nowhere all of a sudden jumped in on the conversation I mean you know that happens on Facebook a lot right and we get ourselves hurt. We get ourselves in a situation where we want to type back and get angry. It's like refuse to play their game. Refuse to join in on that. Uh, the Oregon Live is the only one that still keeps their forums open, their comments open. And uh, I'll, I'll read stories and I'll go on there. I'll just want to check the comments. And I'm telling you, 99 times out of 100, uh, uh, even a nice story immediately gets, well, yeah, because of this, and you're this, and you're person this, and you're this, and you. And it, all of a sudden, man, I start to get emotional. I start to get frustrated. I can sense the anger rising in me because that person isn't listening. They're just spouting and spewing their opinion. But we've got to refuse to play that game. We've got to refuse to do that. How many people does it take to argue? Well, it takes two. We've got to refuse to play their game. <laughs> this is a, a good verse. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. And if you find yourself in that situation on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever, just shut it off. Just stop because you, you, you're going to have a tendency to either hurt someone or to get hurt. And number six, finally, always take the high ground. Always take the high ground. Be willing to be the mature person in the relationship. Always do the right thing whether other people around you do the right thing or not. If someone insults you, treat them with kindness. If someone speaks bad about you, pray about them. Pray for them. You cannot control how other people deal with you. I, you can't control what they think about you. You can't control what they say about you. You can't even control how people act around you, but you can control yourself. You really can. You can control your emotions. 
You can control your words. You can control your heart. Remember years and years and years ago, I was in high school talking to someone, and this person said about somebody else, oh, they make me so angry. They make me so mad. And I stopped and thought about it for a minute, and uh, I wasn't trying to be a punk, but I, I just, I said, you know, I don't think that person can really make you mad. I think you're the only person that can make you mad. And then that person got mad at me. I guess I made him mad, right? But the reality is you are the one that decides how you're going to respond to things. You don't have to take that answer and turn it around and be hurt or offended or attack back. You can rise above that and you can take the high ground. Mercy, James says this in the NIV 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins, my friends. And that is the thing that we don't have as much of in the world that we desperately need, is mercy. Uh, First Peter says this, it says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Friends, if you open the Bible, and if you read the pages of the Bible, and, and if you do what the Bible says, the Bible says you'll be blessed. And I want that. I want that for my life. I want that for you. I want that for our church because that's how Jesus lived his life. The Bible says when Jesus was unjustly criticized and condemned, he didn't attack back. He took the high ground. Colossians, the Apostle Paul says this, and this is to the church. This is for you and me. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, here it is, you must, must clothe yourself. You must put on this kind of behavior. Tender-hearted mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance. This is, this is a repeated theme, right? For each other's faults, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, here it is again, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So in those moments, you and I have to go to the closet of kindness, the closet of peace, the closet of patience, the closet of forgiveness. We need to grab a garment and put it on ourselves because that's how Jesus responded to us. He loved us. He forgave us. He was kind to us. The Bible says in in Romans 5, it's not on the screen, but even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're to have that kind of compassion for people that are hurting and broken. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That is how Jesus lived his life. If, if you don't have anybody that persecutes you, you put the word irritate, irritates you, you know, uh, bless those that irritate you, you know, don't irritate back. Then he says in verses 17 and 18 of that chapter, he says, never, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace. You don't have to engage all the time. You don't have to allow yourself to be hurt. You can take the high ground, the high road now. And then verse 21 of this, this really sums it all up. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, everything I've just said, it comes from a pastor's heart. It comes from years of counseling and encouraging and reading the Bible. But I want to take just a moment. And I want to give a caveat. I want to give... what I would say would be an exception, all right? And so I need to explain myself. If you're in a relationship and someone is hurting you, you need to cry out for help. Now, I, w- I want to say this uh, as, a, as a man, as a leader, as a pastor, as a shepherd, 
um, ladies, maybe men, predominantly ladies, if the people that are around you, if the person that's around you, if your spouse is hurting you, you need to cry out for help. If they're physically abusing you, you need to get out, my friends. And we will help you get out. Because you do not deserve that. That is not something that's healthy. That's not just overlook an offense. That person may not change their behavior. And, and you could be in serious, serious danger. And as a church, we take this very seriously. We, we understand about justice. We understand about mercy. But we understand about justice. And as leaders, as elders, we've come alongside people. Women who've had needs. And, and as long as they say the words, we help them get out. We, we want to rescue children that are being hurt and abused. They have to call out for that. They have to ask us for help. We can't do it for them, but we will be right there beside them. My wife and I have actually been a part of, of, of going in and, you know, late at night emergency rescuing someone and getting them out when they were threatened and abused. Because you're, you're worth more than that, my friends. A, a, a second part of that, another part of the caveat is this, and I share it from my own personal experience, is that there are sometimes you do all these things, but you have to readjust the relationship. Here's what I mean by that. I've had a, a family member in my life, extended family member, that I can no longer allow in my life or in my family's life because uh, they, they will hurt them. And I have to protect my family. And so I've had to readjust the relationship and disengage from that person. It doesn't really bother me as much, but I can't allow it to hurt somebody else. And I had a friendship. Oh man, a decade plus old friendship. And one day I realized, um, this isn't right. You know, they say there are, there are two kinds of people in the world. You know, those that like Neil Diamond and those... Okay, I'm sorry. I need to add a little levity here. It's getting serious in the room. There are two kinds of people in the world. Givers and takers. And I realized that the sum total of my part of the relationship was give, 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 give. And I was, I was spent. And the sum total of that person's side of the relationship was take, 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 take. And I realized I'm not really helping this person. I mean, I feel like I am. They think I am. They want more, but there's never... It's a bottomless pit. It's a black hole that is going to suck everything away from me. And I had to say to them, I, I just can't be in a relationship with you right now. And oh, they exploded and cussed me out and bit my head off, which told me they were really just using me, right? Now, now again, I just want to give you those two caveats. And, and if you need help, we'd love to pray for you after service. Give me a call. Um, email us. Come visit us. We would love to serve you. We'd love to help you. Love to guide you down that path that could lead to some greatness over there, but also down the path that may lead you to safety and security. And uh, if that's your situation, man, I, I really feel for you, and we have a heart for you. And we don't want to see you in a, in a broken situation where you're going to be hurt or your family. So please call out to us. Well, I, I want to show you one of our stories, one of our faith stories, uh, and, and you're going to love it. It's a great, it's a very simple story, but it is a beautiful story about how to deal with uh, you know, the difficult people in our lives when they're not being very kind to us. So let's watch this story. Hello, everybody. I am John Michael Espinosa Duran. I am originally from Colombia. I am here in Hillsborough because I got a job with Intel and I will be starting soon. I have been coming like a month to sunrise church the hillsborough campus and i would like to share with you uh, a life story 
So this happened to me when I was in college, I was getting my bachelor's degree, and you know, I was being bullied. I was being bullied by some of my classmates. Uh, they knew that I was Christian, that I'm Christian. They, they knew that I was the best in the class. They made fun of me. They make jokes about me. They, they knew that I, I didn't go to have drinks with them. So they give me a, a, a dif they gave me a difficult time. But even though they also knew that I was ahead of them, I was the best in the class. So when they had problems in, during the lectures, when they have problems during the classes, they always came to me. They always came to me looking for explanation. They came to me looking for help in the homeworks. And what I did, well, I helped them. I helped them to, to get over those problems. And with time, I, I get ahead of them in the classes, you know, and then I became their instructor, their tutor in some of the classes. Then I graduate first than some of them. So I became their lecturer, the mentor, the research advisor of some of them. And you know what happened? At the end, with time, they thank me. They thank me for the help. And at the end, the best of all, they appreciate all, what, all, all the things that I did for them. And today, they respect me. They respect me for what I did. They respect me for what I became. And what we all have to learn from this lesson is what Jesus taught us in the Bible. That if somebody hit your cheek, you have to offer the other one. That if somebody asks you for your coat, you have to give them your jacket. We have to love our enemies. Thank you. I love it. I love that story. It's such a great story. Very practical. Uh, very real. I don't, I don't know how I would feel if I ended up be, you know, being hurt or abused or offended or attacked or persecuted and then all of a sudden became the teacher. Uh, but man, I, I might want to you know, retaliate with a grade book or something like that. I don't know about you. Um, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to close in prayer. And as we think about these things, uh, I'm probably sure I, I can guarantee you get it. You have EGR people in your life. You, you struggle to make an allowance for people's faults and forgive them. So I want to pray for you. And, and all you need to do is just say, okay, God, me too. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads and I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you know there are people in our lives that we have a hard time dealing with. You know that we have a hard time being nice to them. Even when we try to be nice to them, um, they hurt us back or they attack us back. So God, we're asking you to give us extra patience, extra grace and mercy uh, to people that mean to hurt us. Uh, use it for good in our lives. What they mean for evil, turn it around for good. God, I want to learn and we want to learn how to respond to people in a way that is like Jesus. We want to be spiritually and emotionally mature. Father, help us to practice these practical steps and these verses from your word. To look past the hurt and the behavior of people. To see their pain and their fear and their insecurity. Uh, when they do things that offend us, to not take it personally but to pray for them, to have a tender heart and some thick skin maybe, but a tender heart, not to be offended by so much, by what people say or do around us or to us. Give us wisdom and relationships, Lord. Help us to offer grace and mercy and kindness. May we not be so demanding and judgmental. Help us to not retaliate with gossip or be offended and, you know, repay evil for evil, but give good when maybe they expect or everybody else in the world says it should be evil. Make, may we give good. Lord, I pray that we would always take the high ground to show love. 
We need you to do this in us, Lord. This is impossible in our own effort. We need your spirit to empower us to live the life of Jesus the way he lived it. There's no way we can do it on our own. We need your wisdom. We need your power to be patient. We need your ability to love others, Father. We need your desire in us to love them in spite of how they respond. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us in our heart today. Some of us need that because we're hurt. Some of us uh, help us, you know, really in our, our mouth today because our words are abusive. Father, we pray that you would live in us and through us to our community so that the world would see a people that are different, that are like Jesus. The world would see hope and then that hurting and broken people could come and see life. We pray that in your name. Amen. Amen.